Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We continue studying uh, Hebrews chapter 11. If you have a Bible and you'd like to go there with me, we've just begun a series of the life of faith, learning to walk by faith, of which we have many illustrations and examples with many lessons for us in this magnificent chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. My translation has this uh, added title here, The Honor Roll of the Faithful. And I'd like to pick up uh, back in verse 1, where we read last week, but we'll be considering from verses uh, 4 through 7, Abel, Enoch, Moses. You know the big word antediluvian? Antediluvian? It means before the flood. But if you say it, you sound really smart. Antediluvian. So, a little tip for you. Okay, Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we read God's word. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Amen. Let's pray once more together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that this, your holy word, would once again inspire our lives, instruct our minds, lead us in the everlasting way. We pray especially that in a day in which much needs to be remembered and believed by faith, that the things which are not seen are more real and powerful than the things that are seen. We pray that by faith we would lay hold and these things would become true realities, substantive things, as the author puts it, that the substance of that which is not yet seen would truly be ours in our hearts. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we pray that in him we too might gain the victory, for it's in Christ that we ask. Amen. Well, um, we are a people of faith. I don't mean Christians. I mean humans. We are all human beings, people of faith. You say, no way. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you go to a doctor whose name you can't pronounce. He gives you a prescription that you cannot read. You take it to a pharmacist whom you've never seen. He gives you a medication that you don't understand how it works. You swallow it three times a day because you believe you're going to get better. Uh, we, We have reason, of course, for such beliefs, for such trust, and, and, and why so? Well, because it's been proven true again and again, we understand. 
In the very same way, we trust in God because he has proven himself true to us again and again and again. And that is what this uh, early uh, history begins to remind us of, that when we have put our trust in the Lord, that we do so for very, very good reason, because in the lives of uh, countless numbers who have gone before, he has shown himself to be a good and faithful God. In these early chapters of Genesis, which are referred to here in Hebrews, we are introduced to the faithfulness of the living God, who created the heavens and the earth out of his by his power, made man in his likeness, the Lord God being revealed to us in his goodness and majesty, bringing all things into being by this, his powerful word, as we read last week, and uh, created uh, Adam and Eve as his regents to reign over this glorious kingdom of the world. We are also taught how man fell from that pristine state of goodness and happiness and rebelled against God. And we see the consequences of the sin, the cruelty, the ugliness, the heartbreak and melancholy that descends upon human life from those very first generations. We see how sin gathers strength, not only in Cain and Abel, but indeed worse and worse in the march of the generations. We find how the life of the world that God made is truly under his wrath and judgment on account of sin. The author of Hebrews calls our mind back to these early patriarchs and their, gene- their, their genealogies, their histories, so that we might put our faith in God as they did in those trying times. Now, you might know that in the first genealogy in the Bible that we are given, we are told of the line of Cain and the escalating wickedness and unbelief and rebellion that uh, culminates in the self-worship of Lamech and uh, the murder that the line of Cain continues to commit in mass. The second genealogy tells the story of Abel uh, and his replacement, Seth and Enoch and Noah, a line of faithful men culminating in the one man who would, quite literally, by God's grace, save the human race alive, though only eight persons, when God's judgment fell upon it. Genesis tells of these two lines in the earth, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and it is a kind of messianic history. Already we are, though, on the way to the birth of Jesus Christ, the true seed of the woman, and who will undo all that Adam has done. Well, many more important facts concerning God and man are laid down in those early chapters of the Bible, but what we turn to, with the help of Hebrews this evening, is the foundation on which the whole edifice of our salvation and biblical truth is being built, faith, and how God's people have always had to live by faith. We turn in Hebrews 11 to read of uh, Abel, of Enoch, of Noah, these first and what will turn out to be a parade of saints. The saints come marching in in this chapter. These three antediluvians, these three men mentioned here who lived their lives before the flood were examples of living by faith. But you notice that living by faith doesn't mean that they all lived the same kind of lives. Living by faith 
does not mean that everything turned out well for them. Abel believed and was murdered. Enoch believed and he didn't die. Noah believed and everyone else died. We cannot predict or control the outcome of our lives. We want to live by faith. Fair enough. But we recognize, even in these early examples, that as we trust in God, we don't know where that course will take us. We want to see Enoch's outcome, I think. But, of course, God will decide that. Ours is to believe and always to believe. Later in this chapter, uh, we go on to read of many more people, uh, especially toward the end, those who lived very impressive lives and, and, and won great victories by faith. But then right in the middle of that list of victories, verse 35, without skipping a beat, we, we find the list of those who were tortured and mocked and scourged and imprisoned, so, stoned, sawn in two, put to death by the sword, who went about destitute, ill-treated, homeless, all because of faith. If you're banking on a good life here and now, well, I'll tell you honestly, faith may not be the way to go. You may not have your best life now. But if we have God's eternal perspective, it's the only way to live. And God's people, no matter how it turns out in these few years, will be abundantly blessed by trusting in the Lord. That's the lesson that we will be seeing. Let's uh, turn first to the story of Abel. Abel. Abel, by faith, we read, offered to God a better sacrifice. In fact, maybe we could get a little more information about him if you want to go back to Genesis chapter 4 and read a couple of verses there. We'll get the rest of his story. Genesis chapter 4, we read in the beginning of uh, chapter 4, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Uh, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. All right. And the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground, uh, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. All right. Well, it's been pointed out that uh, here right at the beginning in Abel's sacrifice, the way of the cross was prefigured. And I'll just mention this briefly because I, I thought it was very sweet that, that here, this, the first offering in the Bible, um, here, here given, given by uh, Abel here, um, uh, the shepherd, uh, a lamb, one for a person. Later, MacArthur points out, came the Passover, a lamb for a family. Later, the Day of Atonement, a lamb for the nation. Finally, Good Friday, a lamb for the world. Well, it's a great story that's going to develop. But of course, what does it mean we want to know that Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain? And scholars have suggested many things. Why Abel's sacrifice was a better sacrifice than Cain? Maybe it was because Abel was a man of faith or Cain was not. Well, Hebrews does say that he, offered, he made a better offering, so 
There's got to be some reason for that. Some said, well, Abel's sacrifice was better because it was a living sacrifice and Cain's was lifeless. It had the blood in it and Cain's did not. Well, perhaps it's, it's surely important here that we read that Abel offered the firstborn and the fat of his flock. That is the very best of the meat. Nothing similar is said in Cain's offering. So by comparison... Um, it, it, it doesn't look that good. Cain's sin may well have been him just bringing an offering, as he was told, making a show of gratitude, committing to God and bringing something while withholding the best. It's, it's possible. Cain's type of offering certainly was repeated many times in Israel's history as the people would just bring whatever, and the prophets repeatedly point out, what is wrong with this picture? They're, you're just checking a box and you are only demonstrating your lack of faith. Well, uh, whether that is it, we can't say, but we we do read here that when uh, Cain... um, He did not have respect for Cain and his offering. Cain was angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord says, Why are you angry, verse 6? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? you do well. Um, the, the question implies that God had made it clear the kind of sacrifice that would please him. And uh, Abel is called righteous, doing right. Um, Cain, not doing so. So faith being then an obedient response to God's revelation, Abel shows us then that pleasing God will be obedient, being obedient to God and sometimes displeasing people that are opposing to God. Well, that's about how much I can get from the passage. In any case, this I know, the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering. He offered a superior sacrifice and he was a man of faith and it is by that faith that he pleased God. And so we read that he being dead still speaks. Well, Having that out of the way, I'd like to speak to you for a few minutes about Abel and about what this does teach us about living by faith and about how he does continue to speak. How does Abel, being dead, still speak? Well, one thing that Abel tells us from the grave is that God will not forget his faithful. He hears their cries He will vindicate them, and he will judge the wicked in his own time. You you know what happens. Cain rises up and kills his brother. And in Genesis 4.10, God says to Cain, The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The blood of the righteous is precious in God's sight, and he would not let the cry of Abel's blood go unheeded. We read a similar thing in Luke 18 where Jesus says that God will bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and he will not delay long over them. I tell you, he will bring about justice quickly. Abel's blood speaks to us that although things are not what they should be in this world, there is a great deal of suffering from the godly by the hand of the ungodly, of the godly, from the hand of the ungodly. And although we may well be mistreated in this world, God is the righteous judge who will right all wrongs and bring justice on behalf of his 
elect. This is how we must live by faith, recognizing that sometimes the righteous are murdered. But God, in His mercy, vindicates His faithful and will judge the wicked. Second, Abel speaks to us in his life apart from any words. Do you ever notice that even though he being dead still, still speaks, we don't have a single word of Abel in the narrative, which is interesting for somebody who still speaks. But we don't even know a single word. We have no recorded words of Abel, and yet thousands of years after his death, he does still speak. For this shows us the power of a godly life and a testimony that he was righteous. Not only in his lifetime, but in successive generations, we should not discount the importance of godly speech, but neither should we disregard the power of a godly example. This righteous man, the saint who did what was right, of whom we have no words, nevertheless, he, being dead, still speaks. And you notice how Jesus remembered him as he spoke to the Pharisees as we began this service, from righteous Abel all the way down. Remember righteous Abel. Uh, finally, Abel still speaks to us about the fact that the measure of this life is not always seen in one's own lifetime, but over history. It's not always seen in one's lifetime, but over history. Viewed in his own lifetime, poor Abel's life was wasted. It seems even he died young. And yet, now countless have heard of his faith and learned that even if we must suffer and die for the sake of righteousness, it is not in vain and we are not forgotten of the Lord, and he gathers our tears in his bottle. In contrast to Abel, Cain apparently lives a very long and prosperous life on the earth. He does receive a curse, and um, that uh, does tell in his life. Nevertheless, we're told that he went on to build cities and fathered many children who were very successful in worldly terms, and yet nobody calls their kids Cain. Except for Herman Cain, I guess, but he had to call his name. Okay. Uh, but Cain's life was the wasted one. He is remembered to this day in infamy. And Abel, the one who was murdered, was the success. The power of a believing life is not always appreciated in that generation, but it is remembered. Now, the power of a believing life, brothers and sisters, is available to you, too. When you choose to follow the Lord Jesus, you are forever changed. Clearly, from this example, it doesn't mean you won't face trials or even violent opposition. But faith in Christ has given you an eternal life with a new identity and a new hope. Um, we, we, we come to Jesus and we find in him an eternal understanding and wisdom and peace that is able to endure the, the, the wreck of this age. Confidence in such an age as this and the freedom to live before God as will please him. This uh, is the lesson that Abel brings us. This is how faith impacts our lives, that Abel being dead, still speaks to us of a life of faith. God will vindicate his faithful children. The power of a godly example will endure. It is not in vain in the Lord. And sometimes a person's life is not impactful in 
this generation, but in the generations to come. Here are the encouragements of faith from Abel. Let's turn secondly to Enoch. Hebrews directs us to the life of Enoch, the seventh from Adam. If you happen still to be in Genesis, we can go over one chapter to Genesis 5 and read this in verse 21. Enoch, son of Jared, lived uh, 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. By the way, that only said about one other person in the Bible. Anybody remember who that was? Elijah. Very good. Yes. Okay, so Enoch, um, although I didn't read much of the context here, Enoch is, is living in a very evil time on the earth. Uh, there, there are two lines, as we said earlier, that be, had begun. Seed of the woman, seed of the serpent in biblical terms. And, and yet, uh, already there is a great deal of, of wavering. The, the wicked line is going from bad to worse. Enoch, still in the faithful line, we read elsewhere, becomes a prophet to his generation, a prophet to the, the pre-flood generation. And it was his job to warn that that judgment was coming. Uh, Jude records those words of Enoch that he prophesied to his generation, Behold, the Lord came with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, Enoch's prophetic ministry spoke eventually of Christ's return, I think, but it also included a warning for that generation, a, a, a warning that they were under a very soon judgment. God was about to bring upon the world of that day an end of the life of unbelieving, violent man. But he would deliver uh, one, one family in Enoch's line. Well, so this is his calling uh, to be a preacher, a prophet of God, to say judgment is coming. That could not have been a very popular message. Do you agree? Nevertheless, he delivered it faithfully, and we read that Enoch pleased God, pleased him so much that uh, one day God just took him straight home and people didn't see him anymore. Enoch himself didn't see death. Not given a lot of examples, or sorry, uh, not given a lot of detail about how that happened. I think it, it must have been in a uh, particularly visible way, like it was with Elijah, as a sign to the people. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been told this so definitely. But uh, Enoch pleased God. He preached in his generation. God took him home. And Enoch, it says, walked with God those 300 years. Interestingly, it doesn't say that about many people in the Bible. You might think that, well, Enoch's only seven generations away from Adam, who walked with God in the garden. Maybe that's not such a, a big deal. Well, well, Genesis also tells us that there's uh, violence throughout the earth. In fact, there is his contemporary, the, the one on the other side of the line, the line of Cain, seven generations down, like him, his what his seventh no his first cousin seven times removed something like that 
uh, our seventh cousin, his name was Lamech, a, a murderer, a man who celebrated violence and immorality and oppression. So uh, here's Enoch, the seventh from Adam on the godly side. Here's uh, Lamech, mass murderer on the other side. Enoch walks with God in the midst of a wicked and perverse society. His, uh, his son Methuselah, as soon as his son Methuselah dies, uh, the flood comes. So we're, we're, we're pretty close, even though it's still a few centuries, but in those days. Okay, Enoch is proof that you can be righteous in a world gone mad. So let's think about the life of Enoch and what it tells us for walking by faith today. Enoch is proof that you can be righteous in a world gone wrong. As I said earlier, there was then as now two lines on the earth. They represented two trajectories of human life, one ordered by unbelief and rebellion against God, increasing rebellion and violence. The other, faith, the knowledge of God, and the, 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 and, the, and the faithful remembrance of God's word. And the rest of the Bible proceeds on the assumption that everyone in the world is in one of these two groups. Okay? Those living by faith, maintaining the word of God, and those who are growing corrupt and under his judgment. That's a pretty sober thought. The line of Cain does descend more and more in these earlier chapters. doesn't take very long. By the 10th generation, it is violence and wickedness everywhere all the time. Human alienation has covered the earth. Cain was the murderer of one man. Lamech, a mass murderer. Uh, Enoch, the seventh in the line of Adam, utterly unlike this. Enoch walking with God while Lamech boasts of his violence. So uh, Hebrews points this man out and uh, uh, says that there is this lesson that we must uh, notice here, that without faith it is impossible to please God. We must, therefore, believe that God is and that he is a rewarder to those who seek him. All right. It's impossible to please him without faith. We must believe that God is, and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, well, you say, well, practically everybody in the world believes that God is. I mean, even atheists and agnostics have their own reminders of, from God himself, and, and, and certainly just in terms of profession, most people in the world believe that God is. Um, well, the world may have believed in, in God, but we are reminded uh, here in the Hall of Faith as we go on especially that they don't believe in God as he is. They didn't believe, for instance, in a God of judgment in Enoch's day or in Noah's day. The, the real God that Enoch believed in and described, the one who was coming to judge, was being more and more ignored by the ungodly, violent people of his generation. People today may say, well, I, I believe in God, but I, I, I don't believe in a God who judges people or certainly sends people to hell or doesn't affirm us. Um, well, you don't believe in the God that is. You're not diligently seeking him. And so this is the, uh, the lesson that, uh, that Hebrews presses on us in this man's life. Enoch, a preacher of righteousness, even if other people believed in God, they did not 
believe in the God who truly was. They did not diligently seek him, and they were not rewarded by him. They were judged by him. And so it is that uh, John Owen explains, faith alone is the gracious power which takes us off from all confidence in ourselves and directs us to look for all in another. That is God himself. Many people have pointed out, if you believe in God, but not the God who is, say, I believe in this kind of God, I believe in that kind of God, I believe in a God that is okay with this and that is okay with me doing that and that is okay for me to think this. What you're believing in is yourself. The God who is, is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch was faithful in his generation and God made an example of him of being rewarded, taking him out. But by the time his son Methuselah died, the world had reached its end for that day. Which brings us to Noah, the third in this list. Noah. God warned Noah about things not yet seen, a warning that would surely have seemed absolutely incredible to that uh, generation. What do we read here? By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Okay. Well, it's hardly difficult for us to imagine what life might have been like for Noah during the years that he was building an ark in the middle of some field or his backyard, right? Uh, Noah's folly, they might have called it. Uh, Look at that crazy man, they would have laughed. What a fool he would have appeared. How silly. But here is how Noah's faith gave him the victory. Being warned of things yet not seen, one one writer comments, the the far-off flood was more real to him than all the shows of life around him. And therefore, he could stand all the jibes and give himself to a course of life which was sheer folly unless that future was real. Sheer folly unless that future was real. Could you say that the course of your life is sheer folly unless the promise of God and his warnings are real? Paul, Paul writes to the Corinthians, chapter 15, and he says, you know, if, if the dead don't rise, we should eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And if the, if, the, if the dead are not resurrected, we Christians are of all men most to be pitied. We are the foolish ones. Our life is sheer folly unless... This is not the end. Faith, therefore, will always seem to the world like folly. Why not eat and drink for tomorrow we die? God's faithful ones, we're reminded by Noah, have always had to turn their backs upon this world and its approval and acceptance and live as strangers and aliens in the land and to to act in accordance with things not yet seen. It was so not only for him, but as our author goes on to say, for Abraham, Moses, David, It was true for Jeremiah and the prophets. It was true for the Savior who was despised and rejected of men because he walked with his father. So it was for Paul who suffered all manner of trouble from the world. And so it has been ever since. For the more faithful a Christian, the more he walks according to the word of God and things unseen and those eternal realities pressing in 
especially the reality of judgment here in view, right? Knowing that God will judge the world soon, the more it will find the world mocks him and scorns him. Tertullian in the third century wrote, we get ourselves laughed at for proclaiming that God will one day judge the wicked. Well, they were laughing in the third century. They're still laughing today. And what a hard thing this is to be among the few, to be among the few who see what no one else can see by faith, what is coming, to be able to walk with God and to be thought absurd for doing so. Hebrews reminds us that this is the calling of believing men and women and has been since the beginning. So this group of Hebrews, as we considered a few weeks ago, that are being tempted to return or being pressured, who want to go back to all that, all that is seen, the worship, that, all that is visible, and are, are being called to go on in faith, it was very difficult for them to suffer reproach for the name of Jesus, to be mocked, to be laughed at. What about Noah? What about Noah? Doesn't he speak to you? Doesn't he, being dead, still speak? That this is going back. This is what the fathers before us experienced. You want to stand in the line of godly men. You want to be in this generation of righteous Israel. They're trying to get you back with all these glowing promises. Oh, won't you, you know, come, come back to the fathers and to the, the promises and all that. This is going back. We are going back to Abel. We're going back to... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Just uh, skipped to my mind. So sorry. Enoch. We're, we're, we're going back to Noah. To walk with God and to be thought fools for doing so is the calling of believing men and women. To believe what God tells you and to act upon it, though it may be a very long time before the word is proved true, during which you may look the fool, uh, nevertheless, this is what it means to walk by faith. Calvin wrote that faith is the evidence of not, things not seen in this way. Eternal life, he writes, is promised to us, but it is promised to the dead. We are told of the resurrection of the blessed. In the meantime, we are involved in corruption. We're declared to be just, but sin dwells within us. We hear that we are blessed, but in the meantime, we are overwhelmed with untold miseries. We're promised an abundance of all good things, and yet we often are hungry and thirsty. God proclaims that he will come to us, but seems deaf to our cries. Here is the struggle to live by faith year after year, Faith rightly called the evidence of things not seen. But we are reminded faith was their victory. Faith turned their worry into prayer and their prayer into courage. Worry and anxiety are very unwelcome parts of this life that can rob us of joy. But when they turn us again by faith to God for comfort, for reassurance, we find peace. Our worry won't change everything, anything, but God will change everything. So faith says in conclusion, I don't know how it will turn out, 
Walking by faith is not a guarantee that anything is going to go well or easy in this world, except that we, we will have to endure our, our measure of, of reproach. Like Abel, like Enoch, like Noah, we don't know what the future holds for us. Um, Abel believed and was murdered. Enoch believed and did not die. Noah believed and everyone else died. This was their calling in their generation. But we know that we can leave things to the Lord and His faithfulness will be proven in every generation and this is not the end. For them and for us, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we long once again to be a people of great or greater faith. We hear the same siren song of this world. We we too naturally shrink back from reproach. We, like um, any of those human creatures that you have created, want to be liked and accepted and find it very difficult to find ourselves out of step as though we do not belong here and as though the core things in our life that we look for and hope for are completely invisible to most of our fellow creatures. We, we thank you, Father, for opening our eyes, for giving us a sight by faith of such glories and of a kingdom already entered into by Abel and by Enoch and by Noah, by all those who have gone before, for those who spoke to a generation of increasing wickedness and found the judgment not far, uh, not far behind. We pray that even in our generation, not knowing when that judgment will fall, we pray that in any case, we would be found faithful. Do with us what you will, though, our Father. We pray not that we should escape the the fate of those who have gone before, but we pray that we should be faithful to you.